listening to this message from Pastor John Cameron. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church, check out arisechurch.com or find us on YouTube. Alright, if you have a Bible, we're going to turn to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, I've been in America for a couple of weeks, the book of Mark. The book of Mark, chapter 2. On the eve of our uh, staff retreat last year, we have an annual staff retreat. And on the eve of it, just a couple of days beforehand, uh, uh, one of our young pastors ran a leaders meeting for a group of leaders in our church. And uh, at the end of the meeting, the, the young pastor, who shall remain nameless, was leaving the meeting with a crew of people from our staff and team, and they were driving home from the service when uh, he received a text message. So being a good you know, young man, he gave the wife, uh, his wife his cell phone, asked her to read it out. And it was a, a complimentary text from a parent by the name of Donna talking to him about how amazing the night had been and what, a, what an impact the night had had on her teenage son. And he was like, well, that's, that's an encouraging you know, text to receive. And so he said, can you send a reply to Donna? And he said, you tell Donna, it's why we do what we do. And you know, the problem was he probably meant to say to her, you know, it's why we do what we do, you know, why we volunteer, why we go the extra mile. But any kind of genuineness was abandoned by our staff because when we get to our staff retreat, well, we do a little bit of inspiration, but largely staff retreat is an opportunity for our staff just to let their hair down and have a few days where they're not responsible for everybody else. We, we baptise staff members just randomly. Uh, we initiate new staff members. There's a whole lot of ritual and ceremony and, and people who come out of the internship school on staff have to eat hot peppers. And there's a whole lot of things that go down. Well, by the time we got through day one of our staff retreat, You Tell Donna was basically trending across staff retreat as people were coming up with all kinds of things like, You Tell Donna, I am God's gift. You Tell God, Donna, when God wants to move, He sends a man, me. You Tell Donna, you know, like there was just saying after saying after saying. And in our office now, You Tell Donna has become speak for it's why we do what we do. So over the next three messages as a church, we wanted to talk about why we do what we do. So we've chosen this title, You Tell Donna, to somewhat humorously, you know, uh, kind of, uh, you know, lead us to this. All right. The book of Mark chapter two is where we're gonna dive into the series. And in verse one, it says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's Word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him in to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole on the roof, hole through the roof above his head, above Jesus' head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. God alone can forgive sins. Jesus immediately knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he turned to the paralyzed man as a sermon illustration 
and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. Onlookers, I love that phrase, stunned onlookers. Like that's like Bible speak for gaping mouth. They were, all pra- they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. When I was 17 years old, uh, I was in no way a Christian. Nothing about my life resembled Christianity. And I was a long way away from God. I, I guess during my 17th year, I started to just become aware that the way I was living my life was taking me nowhere. And the way my friends were living their lives was taking them nowhere. It was like Groundhog Day. We were just living the same seven-day rotation, waiting for Friday night, waiting for Saturday, getting back into it, you know, again. And on the eve of my 18th birthday, about six weeks before my 18th birthday, I, I had a fight with one of my closest friends. And in the fight, I'm pretty sure he broke my nose. I, I never went to the doctor, so I can't say for certain. It just, you know, was big and it clicked from side to side for about nine months afterwards. So I figured that it was broken. And he was fairly psychotic, this friend of mine. So I decided to give that circle of friends a break for a little while. And this meant that I ended up spending a lot more time at home than I was used to spending. And my my brother and my sister, they would have all of their friends from the church youth group around at our house, literally all of the time. And, And I would hang out with them because they were in the house. And then for my 18th birthday, my dad gave me a suit. It was a Pierre Cardin double-breasted suit. I mean, I look good. And so the next day, I couldn't think of anywhere else to wear it. It was a Sunday, and so I thought, well, I'm gonna wear the suit to church. Why not? Something this good has gotta be showing off. So I rolled up to church that day, you know, and uh, when I got to church, I sat through the service, and I'll be honest with you, it was a lot of people's behavior was pretty strange. There were women with flags and... It was just songs and just, I mean, I could go on about the craziness for quite a long time. And just the mean age would be a point of conversation. Let's just say a lot of people got free bus rides and discount movies. But at the end of the service, a guy, you know, who was also just a a fairly new Christian, a fairly new Christian came up to me. His name was Bevan Hirangi. And Bevan said to me, if you come back to church next Sunday, how about we all go surfing? I take you surfing with me after the service. Well, you know, I lived in West Auckland and PR or Bethel's a long way away. I couldn't afford to get there. So I rolled up to church next Sunday with my surfboard in tow and sat through a second service. And then uh, uh, we had a great afternoon, a lot of fun, enjoyed the people I was with, enjoyed Bevan's company a whole lot, devoted his whole afternoon to me. And he said, we'll come back next week and we'll do the same thing again. So I came back the third week. And this time, during that third week, I, I began to feel something. I mean, I, I'd, I'd felt something from the first time, but this third week, it was undeniably real. I'd gotten over all the weird people. Uh, I wasn't fixated on the flags. And now I was just thinking about what was happening in the middle of the service and began to realize that what was taking place was God's presence. I began to feel God is here. This is... This is real, this is genuine. I went to the beach, went home that night, and that night I lay on my bed and I prayed. And I said, God, if you are real, then I'm willing to trust you, but I'm gonna need your help. The next week, 
I went back to church the, the following Sunday, went to the beach with Bevan after the service. Yep, the weather was terrible. When we got there, there was no surf. And so uh, we went to one of Bevan's friend's houses who lived at the beach. When we got there, Bevan is trying to share his faith with this, you know, beach dude. Um, and as he's talking with him, he's trying to enlist my assistance in sharing his faith with his friend. Like, isn't that right, John? The problem was, I wasn't a Christian. But at the same time, there was nothing he was saying that I was disagreeing with. I was just kind of like, that's right. But I couldn't like chip in anything. So I just kind of sat there. I went to church that night and that night formally in the middle of the service, the opportunity was given. I responded and I said yes to Jesus. It was May the 12th, it was my father's birthday. It was four weeks and one day from the day that I turned 18 years old. And in that service that night, in a little hall in Newland, West Auckland, known for nothing other than the fact that Richard Preble, do you remember Richard Preble from the ACT Party? Used to vote in that hall. And nothing else noteworthy about the auditorium, certainly nothing worth celebrating about the church service itself. A hundred people in the meeting, Yet that night, I know that there was more celebration over what God was doing in my life that night than over the 99 other people that were present. And in no way has that got anything to do with me. It's got everything to do with the heartbeat of our God. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 12, the Bible tells us about God in a number of 100. He leaves 99 and He goes after one. We learn about the angels that doesn't matter how many people know Jesus already. Luke 15, 10 says that there is more joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. That's the heartbeat of our God. Well, when I found Jesus that day, the changes in my life were dramatic. It was like night and day. Like I woke up the next morning and for the first time that I can remember in my life, I felt content and at peace. Those are not two cheap things, by the way. I needed nothing and I was not troubled for anything. Content and at peace. There have been habits and behaviors, appetites in my life that I'd tried to change for years tried to move on from things for ages. But that day, I woke up the next morning and habits were instantly broken. The very moment I gave my life to Jesus, I began to feel vaguely, like not, clarity, not with clarity, but vaguely, but also with a sense of sureness that my life counted to God, that He had a purpose for me, that I was alive for a reason. God valued my being here. And I can tell you this morning with absolute certainty that because of Bevan and a little hall in Newland, that my life is what it is today. I discovered God, I found Jesus in that little hall with a wooden floor, wooden walls, a wooden ceiling and wooden pews. Talk about minimalism, nothing exciting, not a flashing light to be seen. Yet in the middle of that church service, God's love reached out to a broken and lost teenager and my life has never been the same again. Yeah, that is the truth of our God, is it not? You know, that's the heartbeat of our God is that lost people would discover Him. We, we here at Arise call that an encounter, an encounter. When somebody is awakened, 
to the reality of God. The reason why we use this word is because Christianity is not fundamentally about adhering to teaching or conforming to a pattern of behaviour. It's about an awakening to a reality of a God who is real. And when you discover Him, it is like that. It's an encounter. You go, oh my Lord, You are real. My life has a purpose. You've forgiven me. You love me. And all of life changes when a life is awakened to God. Is this not true? And I believe that the absolute passion of God must be the central thing of our church. And that is we exist as God's people to introduce others to a personal relationship with the God who loves them. That's the reason why the church exists. If you believe it, I need a little yes from you this morning. We are here to win lost people for Jesus. If you're gonna tell Donna it's why we do what we do, then realise that the reason why across New Zealand today, beginning at 4 a.m., alarms started going off. People started getting out of bed, not paid people, volunteer people, to pack in to auditoriums in six different locations. You know, behind where I am today, there's a group of people in a room ministering to people literally from nations all over the world through an online campus. All of this effort, all of this energy, all of this dedication is for one primary purpose. Because lost people need the love of Jesus. And if we can build a church, that is alive with God's love, then we can impact our world for Jesus Christ. If you believe it, give me another little yes. Yes. The primary purpose of our lives is to know God. And the primary purpose of the church is to make God known. And you know, this is why we do what we do on a Sunday. Why we do what we do is so that people can discover a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a central mandate of the church. And here to rise, the reason why we have Sunday services above all else is so that the same experience that happened to me in a very ordinary hall in West Auckland can happen for people in this service like they did in previous services today and in future services today can discover a personal relationship with God. Lost people can discover the God who loves them. Jesus said it like this. He said, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. He said, I'd rather hang, hang around with people who are lost than people who are already found. He put it like this in Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save that which was lost. What I love about this passage of Scripture we're reading about this paralyzed man and his four crazy friends is that these four crazy friends bring their buddy and they're like, man, whatever it takes, we are gonna get this guy to Jesus because he alone can heal his broken life. And I don't know about you, but man, I wanna be like these guys. I reckon our church needs to emulate these four crazy young dudes who would do whatever was required to get their broken friend to the healer, their lost friend to the Saviour, their buddy to the only one who could forgive them of their sin. Are you with me today? 
So let's talk about five things I think we can learn about, learn from when it comes to these amazing four guys. The first thing is that they carried their friend to get him to Jesus. They carried their friend to get him to Jesus. Some things you're supposed to carry in life. Did you know that? The Bible doesn't say you shouldn't have any burdens. It says it's good for a young man to bear the burden while he is still young. And carrying people to Jesus is a burden that we are supposed to put upon our shoulders. Our people, many people in our community are lost. They're broken. They're stuck. They're paralyzed. They don't know how to get out of what they're in. I didn't. Before I found Jesus, I wanted to have a different life. I didn't want to waste my life. The problem was I didn't know how to unstick my stuck life, if that's grammatically correct. I was on pause. I didn't know how to get free. I was paralyzed. I didn't know how to get whole. But you know, I'm so grateful for a guy whose name is Bevan. The manager, Bevan, started to abuse me. Hey man, I just want some muesli. I'm so grateful for Bevan who just said, man, I'm gonna carry you as long as it takes until you can find a personal relationship with Jesus. If there is something that every believer needs to do, it's we all need somebody that we're carrying to Jesus. We all need someone that we're including in our lives. We all need someone that we're taking on the journey of faith. We all need someone that we will do everything in our power to get them to Jesus. In my life, I'm actually grateful for two things. I'm grateful for a, an odd looking lump on my nose and I'm grateful for a friend called Bevan. I mean, if it took a broken nose, you know, to get me to Jesus, if it took me a broken nose, you know, I'm shopping for glasses for me, sunglasses is the, the most protracted and annoying experience because I have recessed eyes, which means our lighting guys have to put in a lot of work to make me lo not look like Darth Vader because if I just tilt my head just a little bit, then the light goes up my eyes. So they're always like, look up, look up, look up. I'm like, put the lights lower, put the lights lower. They're like, we can't put them in the actual auditorium, but I, I have recessed eyes. And then the next thing now is a, thanks to my crazy friend, my psychotic friend, I have an extra lump on my nose. So the glasses get lifted up and then the eyebrows are pushed down and they like sit here across my head and I, I have to shop around for ages to try and find them. But you know what? I'd rather have a lump on my nose. I'm so, I'm so grateful for something that broke me free from some bad relationships. And then I'm so grateful for a guy called Bevan who didn't just say, I want church to be about me and the same circle of friends that I've always had, but I'm gonna take my time and invest it into a little dude from West Auckland dressed all in black with a mullet and a temper problem a mile high. I'm gonna spend my Sunday afternoons with John. And I reckon, I reckon for every John that walks in the doors of a church, we need four Bevins. It took four to get one to Jesus, hey? I reckon we need four Bevins for every John. I reckon we need a lot of people who are just gonna say, I'm going to care. I'm gonna carry somebody to Jesus. I'm gonna invest my life in somebody that is yet to know God. Someone once said to me, you know, what do you think causes churches to plateau in their growth? And my answer was instant. This would have been more than five years ago. 
But even though my answer was instant, it's the same answer now. And I'm, I'm a student of how to make God's house bigger because that's the whole heartbeat of God is that the church gets bigger and hell gets smaller. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Well, if you're gonna say, what's the number one thing that either makes the church grow or causes it to plateau, I'll tell you what it is. The number one reason why churches plateau is that Christians fail to pay the price of relational discipleship. You don't, you don't reach lost people in a vacuum. You don't just put out a message and they all just turn up. They need a, they need a home, they need a relationship, need a friend, need someone who's gonna care about them. Need to be welcomed into somebody's world. If we aren't carrying people to Jesus, then you know the truth is that we can be just like the guys in this house where Jesus was physically present. The Bible says the power of the Lord was present to heal. That's in another one of the gospels. In that room, People could have got healed, could have got saved. Yet until four dudes ripped open the roof, not much is happening. But man, have you ever been in a room where people are discovering Jesus? It's the most exciting environment you can ever be in when people are going on the journey of faith. Let's not leave God's power wanting. Let's give it freedom to move because we're busy carrying some people to Jesus. Are you with me today? We're, we're launching a, a new little, uh, I'm not sure what to call it, an app or something like that, but it, it takes the form of a screensaver. It takes the form of a, of a screensaver and you can go to arisechurch.com forward slash Donna and there on, on that link up on the screen, it allows you to type in the names of three people that you are gonna say as a person, I'm gonna pray for these people. I'm gonna involve them in my life and I'm gonna do my very best to carry them to Jesus. I'm gonna try and bring them with me to church, gonna invite them to, to know some other people. I'm gonna carry these three people to Jesus. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, John, I haven't got three names. Well, I couldn't think of a better person to respond to this than anybody in that category. Don't feel guilty. This is what I want you to do. If you're saying, John, I can't think of three people that I could pray for who could come to find Jesus. I don't know that many non-Christians. Then why don't you just put question marks? Just put question marks. Just put three lines of question marks and walk out of the service and start praying for somebody that you can pray for. I promise you, if you'll do that today, you shouldn't do it with any shame or guilt, but know this, God's gonna give you a name to put on that list, I reckon, if not within a day, certainly within a week, and absolutely with conviction within a month, you'll have somebody that you can pray for. But man, man, imagine if every person could walk out with a little thing on their screen saying, I am believing for these people. Now, yeah. Not only are we encouraging every person to do that, but between now and Christmas, we're gonna do two series, one in October and the other one in December. The month of October and the month of December are gonna be great opportunities for people to bring unchurched people with them to church. In October, we're gonna be talking about the, the topic of wonder. And we're gonna talk about how in our materialistic world where, where everything's up for grabs, so many people are struggling to find something that can fill the void. And we're gonna point them back to the God who can actually fill the void where, where we worship Him. That's how we fill 
the chaos and the cavity that is on the inside of us. And then in December, we're gonna talk about why Christmas and the gift of Christmas being Jesus for three weeks. And so I wanna encourage every person to start praying for some people. Use that screensaver app. You just put the details in, follow the instructions. It puts it in your camera roll. And then you make that your screensaver on your phone. Old people talk to young people, it's gonna be fine. Number two, <laughs> number two. They created an environment where God's people was, where God's power was free to move. The second thing I love about these guys is that they created an environment where God's power was free to move. They get to the room and there are too many people for their friend to get to Jesus. It's often true that people can't get to Jesus because of the church. Is it, I mean, just calling a spade a spade, but is that not often the truth? We put so much in the way that lost people are like, whoa, 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 this is from another planet. I can't connect with it. And these guys were like, you know what? We are not gonna allow any religious obstacles to get in our way. So they climbed open, they climbed up on the roof and they ripped open the ceiling. They said, we're ignoring the structure. We don't care about status quo. We are not driven by keeping things the way they always have been. We will rip open the roof to get lost people to the Saviour. I reckon that's the kind of church God wants us to build for Him. Who's with me? A, a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, uh, we're in the middle of a service and we were greeting new people and we're giving away chocolate and the band always plays some upbeat music. And I was like, man, this, this music, it's, it's, got a, it's got a groove to it. And I noticed that big pockets of, of people, especially young people, were like, we like this, we like this. So I'm like, I wonder, what, I wonder what they're playing. So I turned and Shahan was playing keys and I said, Shahan, what are you playing? I've got the microphone in my hand. You know, there's a lot, a lot of people there. And he's like, <laughs> it's just a Timberlake. I'm like, what? And he goes, <laughs> it's just a Timberlake. And he's hoping beyond all hope that I will just accept the fact that he is mumbling and the music is loud and move on. But, you know, I'm tenacious. So... I just said, what? What did, what did you say? I'm like, walk right over to him. And he's like, it's Justin Timberlake. Right then I realized while he was mumbling because, you know, half the crowd were like, that is awesome. And the other people were like, ooh, you know. Get that, get behind me. That's, shouldn't be in church. Well, you know what? I mean, man, if it takes a little bit of Justin to get someone to Jesus, then I reckon... It's all right, you know what I'm talking about? I was preaching with uh, Craig Rochelle, who's just one of my great heroes and inspirations on the Gold Coast a couple of weeks ago, and he threw out the statement. He said, at my church, Church, we will do anything short of sin to get lost people to Jesus. And I thought, man, I like that. I wrote it down. And then a couple of weeks later, last Monday, in fact, I found myself at his church just having a look around I thought it was a throwaway comment. It's on the wall of every foyer in all of their campuses. Get it straight. If you're coming to this church, we will do anything short of sin to get lost people to Jesus. I don't know about you, but I reckon that's the kind of church we need to build right here in Aotearoa for our God. Come on, if you're with me, give a little amen. Don't freak out. We're gonna be okay. We won't actually cross the line. We're just approaching it. Amen. I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Number three, the third thing about these guys that blows me away is that they had faith in Jesus to change lives. 
You know, when Jesus looked up, he didn't see the guy with the, par the paralytic. He didn't see his faith. He didn't see his faith. He didn't see his faith. He saw the friend's faith. They had faith that Jesus could change his life. They had faith that Jesus could change his life. That's massive, my friend. I've started this little habit lately, and I didn't mean it to be a habit. It's just kind of happened. But I've started buying Bibles for people who've just found Jesus in our church. And it kind of started happening with, I met a guy once and he just got out of prison and he found Christ and he was really doing well. And so I, I bought him a Bible. I thought, man, I've got to buy this guy a Bible because this is a place where he can get a brand new start. And then I met a dad and, and the dad had come back to faith uh, a year ago at one of our Easter productions. And so I thought, man, I'm going to buy him a Bible to commemorate one year anniversary of being back in the faith. And then I met this guy in the foyer and, and he just found Jesus that very morning. We were just over to the side, he'd coming out of the new Christian's room and I was like, man, I gotta buy you a Bible. And then it happened again. And you know, pretty much now I keep sending Nick out to the, to the Bible society to get me more Bibles and we're posting them out to, to people that I've met that found Jesus. And I started asking myself, why am I doing this? And I realized there was a reason. Because I found Jesus, like I said, on my father's birthday, May the 12th. Well, the next day, my dad, took the day off work. You can imagine, man. If you've got an 18-year-old kid who's away from the Lord. So that day, when, I, when I, my first day as a Christian, Dad took me to the Christian bookshop. And when we got there, he said, choose any Bible, son. I got, I got an NIV life application Bible. It was expensive. It was like 180 bucks. And I, bought, I took this Bible and Dad bought it for me. And he bought it for me for one reason. He was saying, son, you found Jesus? Your life can change. I've got faith that Jesus can change your life. And come on, I, I, reckon, I reckon we need to build the kind of church where people aren't walking in the door with a big question mark over them, but we're building the kind of church where people, we're putting a huge amount of confidence and belief in God's ability to change a human's life. If you believe God changed his lives, give him some praise right now, come on. You know, I, I, I've asked myself the question, why is it? Why is it sometimes I can, I can be in a service or be in a church or be in any particular environment and man, people get saved all over the place. Then you can be in another environment and nobody's getting saved. And I've found that it doesn't matter about the lights, you know, it's not about how, how excellent the lead break was and the guitar or, it, man, most controversial thing in church probably to this very day is still sound levels. You know, too quiet, too loud, doesn't matter. Either one doesn't make any difference. I'll tell you what makes the difference. People get saved when Christians have faith that they can. When you've got a group of believers who are like, man, God sees our faith. That's why we pray like crazy for the harvest to come in. Because man, when you are praying, the most amazing things happen. I gotta, I gotta wind this up. Number four. Number four, they were more concerned about their friend's experience than their own. You know, they never even got in the room, these guys. They probably got landed with a bill for fixing the roof. But they're like, man, if it takes, if it takes, I'm just laughing at all the bills we've had to pay over the years. But anyway, if it, take, if it takes a few bills to get lost people to Jesus, they're like, man, we don't care about our experience. We care about people finding Christ. 
You know, for me as a pastor, probably the weirdest thing for me to do is to go to the movies with other Christians. To be honest, I'd probably rather not. Because when I sit in a movie with other people who are Christians and anything happens in the movie that isn't like ideally Christian, you know what I'm talking about? And you would be amazed how low the ratings go when you're a pastor. I mean, one swear word, one, 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 you know, whatever. And everybody just does this. Like the thing in the dark, like I can't see them, but you know. But the truth is, the truth is that really what they're saying is you have a level of maturity. And because you have, hopefully, a level of maturity, that impacts the way that you see this experience. Well, isn't that, isn't that the hallmark of maturity? Any parents out there making decisions about where you're gonna go on holiday based on what's good for you and just ignore the needs of your kids? We would call you an immature parent. And a Christian who cares more, even though you can find a Christian who's been a Christian for 20 years. You've heard more sermons in 20 years than anybody probably ever got to hear in the entire span of their early Christian journey 2,000 years ago. Yet at that point, they can still be like, oh, no, the message isn't feeding me. And it's like, how much food do you need? Pick up a fork, feed yourself. You know, you're not a child anymore. How about we start caring about whether we can actually connect with a lost, at best, teens of New Zealand, 13, 15% go to church on a Sunday. 80 plus percent don't. We can't cater to the needs of those who've been in it for so long at the detriment of those who have yet to find it. We need to care more about somebody else's experience than we do about our own. Come on, if you believe it, then give the Lord some praise together. The band can come and join me. And number five, as we wrap this up, they saw what others only ever dreamed of seeing. These five friends, man, oh, oh, they've got, they've got a crowd of people packed into a home and nothing is going on, nothing. What's happening? What's Jesus doing? Nothing. Is there any miracles? No, nah, bit disappointed but then four guys rip open the ceiling, break the status quo, carried their buddy to Jesus, had faith that Jesus could change his life. And verse 12 closes out this passage with people saying, man, what just took place here is greater than anything we've ever seen in our lives. Jaws dropping, mouths open. The stunned onlookers were shocked at how amazing God is and what He can do when He's given the opportunity to move. Who is with me that God's got power to change lives and to impact a generation? Do you believe it together? Come on, why do we do what we do? Why do we do Sunday church? Why do we do Friday youth? The answer, we do what we do with our church services, with our number one goal that lost people find Jesus. It trumps all other decisions. It is above every other want and women fancy that lost people find Jesus. We need four Bevans for every John. Any Bevans out there today? <laughs> Come on, can you stand your feet together with me? 
Thanks for listening to this message from Pastor John Cameron. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church, check out arisechurch.com or find us on YouTube.